already through the story, through the music, through the text, we're worshiping together. It's so nice to be together, even though we aren't face-to-face together. Thank you particularly for those students who are looking forward to being back on campus. We welcome you here. You know, this church exists because of you, and we trust that you will make this your regular home, a place of refuge and worship while you're with us. Last Sabbath, Pastor Andreas reviewed with us a very disruptive 2020, a year full of promise derailed by tragedies. Hopes and dreams were altered. Isolation and death left many of us lonely and grieving. And so far, 2021 isn't in all ways much of an improvement. Pastor Andreas asked me today to talk about grief and to share some practical suggestions as to how we might cope with the disappointments and losses. Grief brings to mind painful stories and sadness. Jesus' pronouncement to his disciples remains true for us. In this world, he said, you will have trouble. And that remains true for us. Bad times come, and we who believe in God suffer just like everyone else. We grieve. Being Christians doesn't let us escape. How can we endure our losses and maintain hope for the future? Thinking of loss and hope reminds me of funerals and cemeteries and a very special text we cherish at times like that. Even though it specifically addresses death, it seems to me that the principles of that text apply as well to other kinds of situations. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul introduces the special text by saying, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like others who have no hope. We grieve with hope. And he goes on to say, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then prepare yourself for this phrase, therefore encourage one another with these words, hope, coping and hoping, grief in the context of hope. Those two terms may seem 
to conflict with each other because coping refers to the present and hope refers to the future. That potential conflict sometimes confuses us. But I would suggest to you that we need a balance of the two. Energizing ourselves to improve this world while never forgetting the eternal world. The hope Jesus and other Bible writers encourages isn't an escape from the harsh realities of this life, but it does help us shape how we respond. It lets us celebrate the good with a clear eye on the bad. We see reality, but we're not overwhelmed or consumed by it. That kind of hope doesn't take away our loss and grief, but it lets us grieve and hope at the same time. The combination came together for me on 9-11-2001. I was in Washington, D.C. that day, completing a several-month stint as a Navy chaplain and planning to return to Walla Walla on September 12th. Not long after the attack, a few days later, a general conference reporter interviewed me, and... Not long after that, we had a memorial ceremony at the Pentagon in which Barry Black, Chaplain Barry Black, repeated to us some promises from God. We talk about hope and what to hope for. I heard the president uh, in an interview yesterday say that he's an optimistic person. What gives us optimism at times like this? Well, as a person of faith, I come to promises I find from God and Scripture. The fact that the, the misery and disaster and pain and loss we experience in this world is temporary, not permanent. Hope is a promise from God for something better, for something that lasts, that doesn't crumble into dust like we've seen in front of us this week. The Christian scripture. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, powers nor things present nor things to come, heights nor depths, or any creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has not deserted us, but we grieve. We grieve the events and circumstances that restrict or restrain or confine us. We mourn for what we no longer have or for dreams that we've sacrificed and may never achieve. We grieve the memories of our losses. People, jobs, 
relationships, the loss of innocence by assault or abuse or neglect. We mourn hopes and dreams abandoned in the face of harsh realities. Standing in this sanctuary, my mind goes back over times when we have gathered together in this place to do just that, to grieve together. I remember tragic accidents that involved students or community members, debilitating diseases, family crises. I remember people who were significant to us and whose deaths faced us with life's most profound questions. People like Prof and Mama Cross, Prof Winter, Ward Soper, Robert and Dorothy Kellogg, Casey Lowen, Jonna Dibdahl Buell, Betty Sorensen, Ralph Wiseman, Glenn Masden, Jimmy, Martha, and Susan Losey, Bill Napier, Dale Hepker, Rosa Jimenez, Mindy Cosart, Keith Canwell, the list goes on and on. At my request this last week, our church clerk, Heather Lee, did a computer search for all the people who have died. The computer only took her back to 1999, but she sent me a list of names of 245 people, members of this congregation, who have died since then. It gets very personal for me, too. Over 40 years ago, you in this church adopted Barbara, our girls and me, when we came here. Since then, you've stood by us as we have buried on Mount Hope a childhood classmate and friend, Sharon Fellows, and her parents who were like family to me. Maddie Baird, whose grandmother was a childhood friend of mine. And a number of immediate family members of ours started first with our daughter, Shannon, and then my dad, Barbara's mother, Barbara's father, my mother, and my younger sister. You supported us through all of that. This community knows how to support one another, to see each other through the painful times of life. Press together. Press together, Ellen White used to say. And I say to all of us today, don't stop. Press together, even though the calls are electronic rather than in person, 
and the hugs are virtual rather than actual. We need each other. Press together. Our first suggestion in dealing with grief. Jesus' family's escape to Egypt that was read for our scripture reading illustrates that. On January 6th this past week, Christians in much of the world celebrated Epiphany, the visit of the wise men to Bethlehem. We usually think of that as a very happy event. It brought international recognition and resources. But in truth, it also brought bad news. Shortly after being celebrated as king, Jesus and his family were fleeing for their lives. Royalty to refugees. Jesus became an immigrant, an alien in a foreign country. The verses we've heard that followed the wise men's visits remind us when the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Press together. A second suggestion, infuse your pain with meaning. Joseph's story illustrates that. The favorite and spoiled child of a doting father, the privileged one. His brothers resented him and sold him. He was trafficked to another country, sold as a slave, earned the confidence of his new master until he offended and spurned his his master's wife. As a prisoner, Joseph had ample reason to brood about his fate. This was now the second time he was treated unfairly, and he was suffering as a result. Anger, resentment, and depression could have eaten him up. Then, by miracle, he was rescued, taken to the king's court, and ended up on top of the heap again in a position of power and privilege. So, when his brothers showed up begging for the privilege to buy food, had Joseph harbored resentment all of those years it would have been perfectly appropriate for that to boil out at that moment. Pay them back for what what they had done to get revenge, to give them a taste of their own medicine. You remember well that Joseph hid his identity. He tested those brothers. He required risky investments from them. 
set them up for a sting operation, and falsely accused them. But the story comes to a surprising end. As in Genesis 45, we hear Joseph's emotional revelation of his gift of grace to those brothers who did not deserve it. Rather than attack them for the injustice they had imposed on him, he found something good in his suffering. He said, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Infuse your pain with meaning. A third suggestion. Let go of anger and resentment. Nelson Mandela, granted a controversial figure, spent 27 years in prison for his activism against apartheid. When he was released and became the president, he instituted the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, appointing Bishop Desmond Tutu to coordinate. Criticized for trying to reconcile with former opponents, he said, Courageous people do not fear forgiving for the sake of peace. Another story. Elder James Henry Melanchthon died just last month. I met him at an Adventist chaplain's meeting in 2004 in San Diego. He was working at Oakwood University at the time. He was also the national chaplain of the Civil Air Patrol. During a break in our meetings, it pained me to hear him recount his Navy experience during World War II. He was a young sailor. He was trained to work on airplanes in the Navy. He wanted to go to sea and work on an aircraft carrier. But Navy regulations at the time would not allow him on board a ship because he was, quote, colored. I was uh, so struck by that that I excused myself and made a few phone calls. The USS Nimitz, the aircraft carrier that at this moment is in the Arabian Gulf, I knew was in port in San Diego at that time. I called the chaplain on board and uh, contacted the executive officer and got permission to come aboard. One of the most memorable days of my life was going on a tour with Elder Melanchthon of that ship from top to bottom, led by the executive officer himself. Elder Melanchthon 
was transparent about the pain and sadness of his past, but he was also exuberant about the present. In fact, he enjoyed that day so much that the captain who was away on the day we were on board contacted Elder Melanchthon later and invited him to come back and sail with them for several days at sea. During that time, he appointed Elder Melanchthon as the honorary chaplain of the USS Nimitz. For some of us, and under some circumstances, letting go of anger and resentment is very hard, almost impossible. Also, research shows that some of us have more trouble forgiving than others of us. I found that to be true regarding Anthony, who killed our daughter, Shannon. Many of you have heard me tell or read about my struggle, how for weeks I tried to let go of my rage toward Anthony, and I couldn't let, make it happen. Finally, feeling guilty and broken, God's forgiveness of me overwhelmed me. And by that undeserved gift from God, he miraculously gave me the gift of forgiving Anthony. Let go of anger and resentment. A fourth suggestion, work toward change. Let's not conclude that forgiveness means we give in to injustice. Barbara and I recently watched a documentary on the life of Sammy Davis Jr., the black entertainer, who was part of the Rat Pack with Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and others. Sammy Davis was severely criticized for some stances he took during that period of time, even though his approach dissatisfied many of his contemporaries' peers. He worked toward change. That was certainly true for President Mandela and Elder Melanchthon, too. In their own way and time, they worked to make things better. And we, in our time, must do the same thing. We must find morally effective ways to improve the present. We must keep pushing on the doors that shut out truth and justice. And finally, well, let me, let me remind you also of Malala. We know uh, Malala Yousafzai, perhaps from a recent documentary about her or a movie made in her honor. She was an activist in the Muslim world for female education. It made her not just a celebrity, but a target. And at age 15, she escaped an assassination attempt. And at age 17, in 2014, she became the youngest recipient of a Nobel Prize, hers a prize for peace. She has been the subject of documentaries, movies, books, and she inspires us to work toward change. 
And then finally, affirm the good. Bill Reeder epitomizes that for me. I met him while interviewing former Vietnam prisoners as part of a research project that several of us in the social work department here were working on. Bill was an army helicopter pilot shot down in Laos and force marched along with others up the Ho Chi Minh Trail for several months, mistreated, hungry, slogging through the mud, beaten, miserable. He later wrote, despite the gloom of the monsoon season, moments of magnificence arose along the way when the rain stopped and the sun beamed. I would catch a glimpse of a mountain peak, the quilt work of glistening green hillsides, or the sight of spectacular karst formations jutting like craggy fingers from the earth. There were few such moments of magnificence. Their splendor is fixed in my mind forever. The images remain especially vivid because they were wonderfully real in the midst of an otherwise horrible nightmare. There's good things in life and there's, there's, there's negative things in life. And if you want to ponder and spend time with the negative, then you can be all depressed. But there's, you know, while that's going on, there's plenty of wonder and joy and beauty all around you. So why not take the positive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, once I got to Hanoi, I mean, I was filled with joy when I got there. I, I, they threw me in a solitary confinement cell the first first day there. They, they washed me out. I hadn't shaved for five months. I don't uh, go all of my problems, mm-hmm. but I, I had mm-hmm. dysentery and I was a mess. Mm-hmm. So they bathed me. They put me in the maroon and gray striped prison uniform and threw me in a solitary confinement cell with a board on the floor I was laying on. And they brought me in a, uh, a bowl of... Uh, uh, of bean sprouts yeah. with a little crummy piece of French bread that was all stale and had pieces of rock and stick and stuff in it and, and probably fairly horrible overall. But after what I'd been through, I sat there in that solitary find myself clean, knew I didn't have to walk another step on the trail up, up uh, to North Vietnam, and tears just rolled down my cheeks. I knew I was going to survive, that the, 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 the real struggle was behind me. Affirm the good. Years ago, Chris Catlett, our son-in-law, suggested a framework that provides perhaps an appropriate summary to our struggles to remain hopeful in spite of our sorrows. He and I were talking about how to pray when we're in a tough place. And he said that he emphasizes three major requests. He asks God for courage. Courage to face his reality, courage to confront his challenges, and courage to work toward improvement. He prays for comfort as he struggles or suffers. And he prays for commitment. Commitment to trust God even when he's in painful circumstances. Commitment to latch on to hope in Jesus for a better present and a much better eternal future. We're all broken, grieving our losses, 
Jesus invites us to both coping and hoping. In this world, you will have trouble, he said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Moses said, and it was repeated by those in the New Testament, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Let us be prisoners of hope in a good God who will change today's sorrows into joy. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you are joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.